0: This is Robert of the Mindshare Learning for Canada's Learning and Technology e-magazine, sporting a different look, raising funds for Movember to support uh, uh, funds for cancer prevention and men's health and well-being. I have a couple of friends who passed uh, this uh, past couple of years, so uh, we're, it's it's a special place in my heart for them. And uh, we're honoured to have joined us for a Mindshare TV learning moment, Eric Scheninger to explore his new book, disruptive thinking in our classrooms, preparing learners for their future. A little bit about Eric. He is the associate partner of International Center for Learning uh, Leadership in Education, award-winning principal, learner, best-selling author, international keynote speaker, learning facilitator, and coach. You can follow Eric at E underscore on Twitter. Eric, thank you for joining me. Uh, this afternoon during these, what have been challenging times, but uh, lots of optimism.
1: Yeah. You know, I'd say that, you know, with all the challenges that the pandemic brought about, you know, we focus because our brains are wired to keep us safe. We focus on the challenges, but so many opportunities have arisen to take that critical lens to our practice and really begin to, transform practices that are more in line with the world that has been radically disrupted not just by the pandemic but also by the current fourth industrial revolution that we are in
0: absolutely fascinating times never been a more opportune time for for innovation to happen in in times of crisis uh and future proofing is something that we've talked about and you're talking about talk to us about the inspiration behind your book
1: Well, you know, we all had our pandemic projects Uh, for me, one was to become a better cook personally, but professionally, I I had some time to really reflect on um, all the many classrooms that I had visited both prior and during the pandemic. So I I took the insight from thousands of classrooms, hundreds of schools, and really wanted to present a practical approach because you know, I'm big on social media. We hear a lot of things, but you know, hearing and then translating at the practice are two totally different things, Robert. And I pride myself on working with teachers, administrators, schools to focus on the most simplest aspects of change. You talk about future proof. What does that mean? We get our kids to think and we empower our kids to apply their thinking in relevant and meaningful ways. It's that simple because we don't know what's coming down the pike, just like the pandemic. We weren't prepared, that's not a negative, but how do we future-proof learning for our kids? Challenge them to think, get them uncomfortable, personalize learning, use data to meet their needs, transform learning spaces, and then get them to take that knowledge, construct new knowledge, And apply it to real world predictable
0: and unpredictable problems. Amazing. We just wrapped up our summit, and our theme was uh, future proofing learning and and really uh, taking what the learnings from from the pandemic, as you described. I mean, you are one of the thought leaders that I've come to admire and is a mentor to to me in many ways. Uh, uh, You know, we've interviewed you in the past on your previous book. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's an exciting time, but it's a daunting time. Talk to us about uh, a little bit about uh, unpacking this book and, and what uh, leaders and teachers might discover by uh, picking it up on Amazon.
1: Yeah, you know, and, and I look at it this way. You know, disruption is nothing new. Uh, you know, we, I saw it when I was a youth, when I watched the cassette tape go to the CD and then to digital. Where my beloved blockbuster was disrupted by Netflix. Where I held on to my BlackBerry just as long as Kim Kardashian did. And good then, Canadian
0: technology, by the way. <laughs>
1: yes, exactly. And then I got my iPhone. You know, but but I think a good way to do it is okay. What does it really mean? Disruptive thinking is how we empower our students to replace conventional ideas with innovative solutions to authentic problems. You know. We hear so many buzzwords, but there's not much clarity in that. Now with that definition, it really comes back to, Hey, let's look at whether you're a fan of Bloom's taxonomy, Webb's depth of knowledge, you know, levels of thinking. I don't care what you call it, but let's look at where our tasks are. Let's look at where our culture is and apply that to our questions. What our kids are doing, our assessments. But then that real big missing piece in terms of disruption is that relevancy, that context, that authenticity. So looking at our tasks and and how that really allows kids not to become skilled, but to be competent. There's too much focus on skills, Robert. It's overplayed. 100%. You could be skilled at throwing a baseball, but totally incompetent as how to play the game. Our learners need competencies such as remote collaboration. Creativity, problem solving, self regulation, um, you know, time management. So, in essence, does the culture of classrooms, schools, organizations truly prepare kids not for something but for anything?
0: Amazing. Talk to me about the role of the teacher and what that looks like. Would you ever imagine, uh, this past? year or so, that 100% of educators had to infuse some form of tech-infused pedagogy in the classroom in our lifetime.
1: You know, it it made my job a lot easier because uh, my role is really helping teachers and administrators be more open-minded when it comes to the purposeful use of technology to empower kids' own learning. And it was a gift because we saw overnight schools go one-to-one. We saw learning management systems like Canvas, Schoology, and to extend Google Classroom be used at scale. And you know, I, I think when we look at all the success we've had, we have to tip our hats to teachers because leadership is not about position, title, uh, or power. Leadership is about action. And we saw teachers become resilient, get out of their comfort zones, and you know, evolve to best meet the needs of learners. It wasn't easy, but when we look at all the opportunity that has manifested itself into practices that we want to continue, you know, it doesn't come from one person with a title. It comes from our teachers and the more that we can curate and share and scale those exemplars of the amazing work of those in the trenches, the better it's going to be for our respective countries to meet the demands of society, which is to prepare kids to think disruptively.
0: I, I love the notion of disruptive change in the new normal. Um, why, why is the mind shift so essential in order to prepare the learner for the future?
1: Well, you know, one of my favorite movies uh, is The Greatest Showman, uh, and Hugh Jackman starred in it. I, I'm not going to lie. I listen to the soundtrack all the time. My friends make fun of me. But in that movie you know, his character said, comfort is the enemy of progress. When mm-hmm. we look at our, our mindset, if it's important to you, you'll find a way. If not, you will make an excuse. And we are often folk held back by, you know, the yeah, buts. Yeah, but right. I don't have enough time. Yeah, but too many mandates and directives. Yeah, but the pandemic, it's still here. Ah, we got to focus on the what ifs. And we can look to the journey during the pandemic. And it was all about moving from the comfort and fear zone to the learning and growth zone. All educators thrived. They might not feel this way, but they did because they kept learning going. They were thriving in this what if zone. But here now as we're getting back to some more normalcy, meaning we're in schools, the biggest challenge that I am facing right now, teachers and administrators are like, Eric, we're reverting back to the way we did things. Mm.
0: That's
1: the way we've always done it is the most dangerous phrase in education. And everyone, we're selling ourselves short. We're not leveraging those painful lessons that we learned. If we allow ourselves to go back to traditional methodologies at scale.
0: Dr. Uh, Stephen Jordans from uh, a psychology professor from the University of Toronto Uh, on a podcast with me over the summer, shared that exact concern that uh, he called it the great snapback to the way things were. How do we prevent that? Because currently we're seeing it happening right now in in our backyard, in many regions.
1: And and here's the reality, Robert, you know, it's when, when the context that I have, you know, I've been in schools all week. I'm now in the midst of 10 straight weeks on the road in classrooms in schools, working side by side by teachers. And I will tell you this, they they are beaten down, they are stressed out, they are at their wits end. The best way that we can support is to not only listen, but to provide practical strategies that are going to help them Use time more effectively because that's what they need. They need time and a lot of stuff that's out there. It sounds great in theory, but in actuality, it, it it's not resulting in change. So we need to listen. We need to ask educators, what do you need? How can I support you Brilliant. And work within the confines of, Hey, I got this 50 minutes. What can I do in this 50 minutes? That's going to employ. Uh, that's going to integrate disruptive thinking strategies. That's not going to give me another thing to do, but in the, in the end, is going to improve outcomes for my kids. So we have to be very careful with what we are are saying to make sure that it really aligns with the reality that educators are dealing with right now.
0: Well, well said. Now we talk about. Uh, well-being and I'm a big proponent of prevention and balance and self-care teacher self-care leader self-care I'm writing a blog on the notion of the fit leader Uh, I play hockey three times a week Uh, back on the blades again uh, thankfully and we um, we have a challenge we have a challenge where kids are not as active they're stressed out, teachers are stressed out. How do we strike that balance? You know, in Canada, there isn't the extracurriculars happening in many regions, tactile learning is not happening, but you can still infuse physical fitness in the classroom, leveraging a big LCD panel, and whether it's to go noodle or other activities, yoga, we need that expenditure of energy and exercise in different ways.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, when you look at implementing personalized learning strategies, by the way, personalization is not about putting every kid on a device and saying, oh, it's personalized. It's about, you know, providing, you know, getting uh, creating the experiences where all learners get what they need, when and where they need it. Looking at things like station rotation. I love that
0: definition, by the way, is that your very own
1: Right. Yeah, it is. It is.
0: You're you're a master at plain language and relatable language. And that is critical.
1: And I'm going to tie in your movement piece in a minute. But, you know, we hear a lot about equity, Robert. And what I see is inequity in the classroom. I see all learners doing the same thing at the same time the same way. Personalization, as I defined it, all kids getting what they need, when and where they need it. But when you use things like stage rotation, choice activities, uh, playlists, you have natural opportunities during transitions to get kids up and moving that can be purposeful. You know, like you say, it could be go noodle, but it could just be, Hey, you know what, get up, go talk to another learner. I'm seeing a lot of schools investing in pedaling desks, stationary bikes, so that they're building that purposeful movement in, but also that experiential learning, we got to move the classroom when the weather permits. Out into our outdoor spaces and and in that 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 physical activity, like you said, uh, and and I saw some great efforts to do this during the pandemic. Um, But, you know, when when you look at all this, you know, I'll be honest, it's a little different here in the United States where, you know, especially where I live in Texas. Oh, my goodness. It's, It's like everyone's back in athletics. Everyone's back in extracurriculars. Amazing. So I I think we'll find our way. But like you said, we can integrate that in class. But we also want to make sure that first and foremost, that we are creating an equitable environment for our learners.
0: Now, from a leadership perspective, how do you stay at the top of your game? Uh, You know, what 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 is your go to uh, website or a source for information in the mornings besides the mindshare report, no doubt. Uh, what, uh, what would you go to in the morning? You, do you go to your Twitter feed? Um, how do you, how do you balance it off?
1: You know, you know, it's interesting to ask that question. Cause I've been asked that twice this week
0: by really? interesting. Leaders, cool. in,
1: leaders in Delaware and leaders in Arkansas. And my response might not be the most popular. Um, I don't really go to the, the, the people that are well-established on social media. You ask me who I go to? It's yeah. The people, it's the people that are doing the work, Robert. And when ah, I look for inspiration, what drives me, what keeps me in in the know, and I, I guess at the top of my game, are the teachers and administrators, first and foremost, that I'm blessed to work with across not just Amazing. the country, World, because I get to see firsthand what truly works, what sticks, what's improving outcomes, how they're overcoming the uh, mental and social challenges of kids, how they are dealing with burn, burn, burnout, uh, burning out, but still showing up and doing the work. So, you know, anytime that I see something from a school or a classroom. That's what sparks me to learn more or figure out ways that I can adapt that idea with credit and support the administrators and teachers that I'm blessed to work with.
0: Fascinating. Great answer. Um, not what I expected. And that's that's cool. Uh, I think you you need to know what's real. Right. And otherwise, you're constantly filtering. We just had a celebrated Media Awareness Week uh, during the time of our conference three weeks ago. And there's so much clutter and that digital citizenship and awareness is, is, is one of those critical competencies, isn't it? It the is. 21st century.
1: What I tell administrators is you got to work with teachers to help them vet the materials they're getting online. I have nothing against teachers pay teachers, but we need to make sure what we're buying actually right. for the curriculum helps kids think, but this same concept should be applied to what we hear and see on social media. Just because someone says it, it looks good, doesn't mean it's an effective practice. So that digital citizenship applies yeah. much to us as adults as it does our learners.
0: Hundred percent. Let's let's shift gears a little bit around the design thinking and reimagining the classroom environment and the culture. Uh, you know, how do you cultivate that uh, disruptive thinking to to shift? You know, as The the teacher's role is shifting and to create that agile environment as we have here in our workspace. It's a co-working innovation center that's in a shopping mall. We have yoga. We have robotics. We have a boardroom. We have a cafe lounge area. You know, it doesn't need to be a square box with straight row desks anymore.
1: Well, we first have to challenge the conventional mentality that resides in our school calendar, our school schedule, the way we structure where kids go through different classes but not move based on competencies. We have to challenge the structure of education as a whole. It's still based on a you know 180 day for the most part calendar that was built right. to get kids into the factories and onto the farm. And I think also we have to look at yes, COVID forced us to social distance and we got our desks back in rows. But as we come out of this, the one, one of the biggest pieces of feedback I've been giving teachers and administrators is we got to get our kids involved in discourse. We got to get them talking, collaborating. And as we kind of come out of this, we have to then look at our spaces and ask ourselves, are kids going to be in a classroom in desks and rows, you know, they're like, you just said, there's so much flexibility in where we can learn. And one of the hallmarks of personalization is place. I hope that more schools will have standalone virtual options for kids because we learned during the pandemic that face-to-face traditional schooling doesn't work for every kid.
0: 100 percent and um, you know this is a space I enjoy coming to every day and people want to belong to something that's bigger than them. It needs to be comfortable and needs to be inspiring. And we talk about here, the community, is the school. It, you're not confined to the four walls. Yep. So from that perspective, have you seen any systems that are really exciting you and, in, and in, in embracing uh, the new normal?
1: You know, I see glimmers of hope. Uh, you know, Wells elementary in my home district of Cypress Fairbanks, ISD, the best blended learning at scale. You will see the standardized wow. assessment data to back it up. And they are, are well on their way, uh, blending you know the traditional constraints with a disruptive thinking mentality. You know, so and I think we also see you know we've so seen schools adopt maker spaces. I've worked with a district uh, where I am right now in the state of Kentucky that has created their own standalone virtual school for those kids. So amazing I think that. But the key now is not to just have it as a fringe element, but to really use that as a stepping stone to transform the culture of the entire system.
0: Brilliant. Uh, before I run out of power, any final thoughts to share with See, our... You're watching uh, with
1: power. <laughs> I want because as I, I the,
0: grab my cord before I, I, I know lose that you. I
1: have a tendency to keep talking. You know, I, I just want to say thank you to everyone out there that that's listening. You know, we are in your debt, everybody. Those of you that are in classrooms, schools, supporting uh, students and administrators. You know, we learned during the pandemic what makes education so special, and that's your resilience. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for caring. And thanks for showing us what's possible. Because, you know, as Robert and I can talk about this, you're the ones that are doing the work. Uh, you're the ones that are bringing it to life. And, you know, I will say this. You know, in these challenging times, it's very easy to get down on ourselves. But when we c- circle back to leadership, remember this leadership is about admitting that when you don't know or you need help, that's a stre- that's strength, everybody. That's not a weakness. I need help. I don't know. Have no shame in that. And just, you know, understand that you're having an impact and uh, the future is bright because of you.
0: Brilliant. Thank you so much for your inspiration and insight into your new book, Eric. My pleasure. That was Eric Scheninger who just released his new book, Disruptive Thinking in our classrooms, preparing learners for their future. He is the associate partner of the international center for leadership in education. My name is Robert Mardlanci launching the Mindshare Learning Report. Be sure to check out www.mindsharelearning.com to get your latest issue. And until next time, Stay healthy, stay safe, and keep the learning curve steep.